iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. I am back, baby. <laughs> uh, I hope you had a stupendous August. Mine was, um, it was hectic. So just a few days after... I recorded that last interview at the end of last season with Adam Fisher about his very fabulous book on Silicon Valley. I broke my arm. I flew over my handlebars riding my bike downtown because someone did an illegal U-turn right in front of me. So over my handlebars I went and onto the pavement. That was not great. I don't recommend it. And three days later, I had to move, which made moving boxes a little difficult. So between myself and my with my bad wing and my wife, who is seven months pregnant... It was uh, interesting. And just one more tip from the top. If you ever have to move, which I don't suggest unless you really, really have to, maybe don't use just a couple dudes and a broken down truck to move your house and all your worldly possessions. It's just probably not going to end well for you. Just take it from me. But anyhow, we survived. And between unloading boxes, I was busy So set up loads of great interviews. Some of them have already been done, which you'll hear soon over the coming weeks. Others are set up, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. So outer space, completely remaking the whole college-slash-university system, human optimization, social media, the beast that is Amazon, lots of really good stuff. But I will not get into all of that now because a long season is ahead. And after all, we have to get to a show, the first of season three. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Now, let's get to it. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? In a few years' time, it'll be almost illegal, certainly immoral, for a doctor to diagnose without the use of artificial intelligence. That was Ali Parsa, who is the founder of Babylon Health. And he is this week's guest. And what Babylon has done is create a doctor in your pocket. So using AI, Babylon's app, which you can put on any smartphone, can ask you how you're feeling, get your symptoms, tell you what you may be suffering from and how to handle it. And a whole bunch of different types of tests that's actually outperformed real life human doctors in assessing your symptoms, health, etc. So it's obviously not an uncontroversial idea, but it's a fascinating conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you noticed that the audio is a bit different, it's because we're trying a little experiment. So this is our first live podcast, or semi-live anyway. So last week I was in London for the Times Tech Summit, which had loads of super interesting companies and delegates, etc. And at the end of that day, I took to the stage with Ollie to talk about what he was up to. 
So, we filmed it before a live studio audience, like they used to say on the sitcoms, about what he's up to. And in the UK, it's a very con- controversial idea. This is, after all, where the kind of idea of a socialized healthcare system was invented. Talking about technology to disrupt that is, you know, not everybody's a fan of that. Let's just say. But other places like Rwanda, where there is a severe shortage of doctors and infrastructure to reach people, it's been adopted by the government as a way to help people access at least some form of healthcare. It's a special show for you this week. I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to bringing many more in the weeks to come. And without further ado, here is me and Dr. Ali Parsa on stage at News UK headquarters in London. Hope you enjoy it. Is this the end of the of healthcare as we know it, or rather the future? And how do you see it? I hope it's the end of the healthcare as we know it, because the healthcare we know today, Danny, it's it's important to understand what it is, right? We spend ten trillion dollar globally on healthcare. What we do with that is we leave half of the world population behind. Half the people on the planet have zero access to any kind of healthcare, any. Of the half who do, the majority of them have access to very bad healthcare. So five billion people on the planet have no access to any surgery. If you're an average person in India or in China that do not live in a big city, what you get is 70% likelihood that you get misdiagnosed when even you see a doctor after waiting for a very long time to see them. And if you live in a country like Britain, one of the richest countries in the world, you have to wait to see our doctors, it's inconvenient, so on and so forth, but that's in physical health. What do you think we do with our children when they have a mental health problem? And they don't belong to our families. They don't belong to a middle class family. We put them in jail. 70% of our kids who are in jail are there because they had a simple mental health issue, 40% of them ADD. We didn't get it, we didn't fix it early enough, and it grew into bigger problems, often addiction and often jail. Last night, 2,000 people slept in the Cook County Jail in the United States, in Chicago, for no other crime. It's written, mental health, right? That's the reality of the healthcare we got. And yet I believe it's possible to make healthcare accessible, affordable, and put it in the hands of every human being on earth. I think it's possible to do with healthcare what Google did with information. Those of you who are my age, you remember information was only available to you if you had access to a major library. Today, any kid, whether you live in Connecticut, in Kabul, in Kentucky, it doesn't really matter, Timbuktu, you have access to the internet and all the informations in the world. We democratized access to information. Not all the information in the world, but most of the information most people need. And, ha- and how do you do that? So you, we talk about AI and people's eyes kind of glaze over when they hear this word AI. It doesn't really, people kind of understand it in a conceptual way, but they don't really understand how does it actually work. So to make healthcare accessible and affordable, Danny, you need to do two things. One is To make it accessible is almost easy. As long as I can put most of the healthcare most people need on the devices most of them already have, that's highly accessible. There is more of these devices out there than there are human beings now. I don't need to build clinics. I don't need to persuade a doctor to go to the other side of the planet or into a remote village. I can make that doctor available to them on their mobile phone. We look after a third of the population of Rwanda now. And if you live in Rwanda, you make a phone call, you can see a doctor within minutes. It doesn't matter which part of Rwanda. See a physical, a real doctor. A real doctor you can talk to on the mobile phone because most people don't have 
um, don't have uh, smartphones, but we can get to the same results, right? So when we see somebody, we can fix the problem 90% of the time remotely. When we talk to them, we can fix the problem 80% of the time remotely. And the artificial intelligence helps with the accuracy of that conversation, so on and so forth. So the AI helps basically diagnose remotely auto in an automated way. Correct, but the problem is this. There is no accessibility without affordability. Right, so when you say I want to make healthcare accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of every human being on earth, accessibility is the easy part. The problem is affordability. And when you look at where the costs in healthcare are, they sit in two buckets. One is people. Two thirds of all the money we spend in healthcare goes into salaries. I used to run hospitals. Two thirds of everything I did was hospitals, went into salaries. It doesn't go into machineries, it doesn't go into medications, it goes into salaries. And, and 70% of all the diseases we face are, if we caught them early, a $10 problem would not have become a $100 solution. So it's timing. So what we do is we, everything we do in Babylon is about creating fundamental technologies that can help with those two problems. How do I minimize what a doctor does to what they have to do, right? And how do I predict somebody's health as quickly as possible. Give you simple examples. I wear this ring, it monitors my a whole bunch of things, including my sleep. And, and my normal resting heartbeat is 56, 57, 58, something like this. But if I have a glass of wine or two, it's up to 62, 63. But if it's at 70, it's, and it's 70 at two to three nights in a row, I know for sure I'm going to come down with something. My body already knows it, it's fighting it, it hasn't showed its symptoms, and then it will do so. So some of these problems are not actually hard to fix. We just need to get out there and fix them. That, this idea of trust, because you're effectively talking about moving a large part of the healthcare system into the hands, quote unquote, of machines. How has the reception been amongst, say, for example, the NHS? Is there pushback? Do, is there you're welcomed with open arms, or is it a bit of both? Both. So we've had phenomenal people in the NHS, one of them was actually talking here earlier, Juliet, who have been incredibly supportive uh, because they know what the problem is, right? So if you are a patient of ours today in central London where the NHS have said anybody can switch their GP to us, 4% of the population under the age of 40 do so in four months. But then the outcry was so hard that we had to almost stop. And the outcry was this, and, and I understand that, by the way, I completely get it. Because we can provide, forever we are told that you have to wait a week, two days, three days to see your GP. Can anybody raise their hand here who can immediately see their GP if they wanted to see one today? A single person, you can. So that's a GP that you should absolutely never lose. Stick to them really closely, assuming you're not married to them, but stick to them very closely, right? The vast majority of people can't, right? Uh, I can see my GP within a few minutes right now, right? On my mobile phone, and, and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. On the NHS, for free. Right? So the problems of access has been solved, and we deliver, by the way, 168 hours of service for the same price any GP gets for 40 hours of service. 
Sometimes they do 50 hours a week, right? And the reason we can afford to do that is because we made it so efficient using the technology we use that makes it possible. So I think this problem, at least in UK, it's solved. The reason we don't have it widely distributed, the old adage in the Silicon Valley, which is uh, the future is already here, is just badly distributed, is human factors. It's like, unfortunately, stuff that we could avoid, but we are not. Human factors. So if you were talking about salaries just now, yes. I mean, what, if you transplant this conversation to something else, you could talk about, it sounds like you're trying to Uberize healthcare, you know, with self-driving cars, removing drivers from the cars, and that, you know, we're talking about doctors. This is the most important service yes. that someone can provide. Yes. And so, do you feel like you have to meet a higher bar? Yes. In terms of what you provide relative to, you know, human doctors? And how do you get past the pushback of, again, just you know, putting doctors out of work, or at least the, that's how it might be per perceived. So the world is short of five million doctors. It's short of 20 million healthcare professionals. There is no scenario under which that my generation and my children's generation, the doctor, are going to be put out of work. The doctor should just not do the stuff that they actually are not necessarily very good at, right? Doctors misdiagnose a lot. They have confirmation bias. They have pattern recognition. All the things that lead to massive numbers of misdiagnoses. One in eight diagnoses in Britain is wrong. One in five in the United States is wrong. I hear that, uh, that, that seven out of uh, ten in Nigeria is wrong, right? Doctors make mistakes galore, right? Because diagnosis is a probability analysis. That's, that's what we do. You, you know that very well. And machines happen to be significantly better in probabilistic graphical modeling than a human brain can be. The, I mean, our machine sits on 530 million strings of knowledge, and it does billions of variations of symptoms a second, right? And it could do so simultaneously, right? Across thousands of users, right? No human brain has that capacity. But can a machine put its hand on your shoulder, Danny, and say, I'll look after you? That trust me, I'll take you through the treatment. That's a fundamentally different job. That's a human job. I'm a physicist. When I am old, I'm in my 50s, when I used to write my calculator, it used to take me days of writing massive differential equations and solving them. The current generations of physicists don't do that. They allow a machine to do that very quickly for them, but they do the insight. They do, that's why science is fa developing so fast, because we're not wasting our times with all the rubbish that I used to <laughs> waste <laughs> my time on. And so do you see a future of complete automation for certain bits of healthcare, where you can use your app, be diagnosed, get a prescription delivered, perhaps by a drone, or <laughs> whatever, yes. but where you getting medical treatment without any intervention from a doctor? So when you say future, future is an impossibility to predict, right? I'm a physicist. One of the most uh, famous papers on physics, uh, you all know about it, is by Lawrence. It's called When a Butterfly Claps Its Wings in Brasilia, There Could Be a Hurricane in Texas. But the second part of the paper that none of uh, us remember is, is that, or it may not. 
And that's just a reality of future. So many different things can come together that who knows what the future would look like. But I think it's theoretically absolutely possible, not in a very distant future, it's actually possible almost today, for a machine to be able to diagnose with a higher accuracy than a human being, that to prescribe and for an automated system to deliver that prescription. That is not the problem. The problem, and for good reasons, is regulation, is safety, is uh, things. So the, today's the answer is not. So i give you an example. We did a test with Stanford University and the Royal College of Physicians here, in the Royal College of Physicians at the end of June this year. And what we demonstrated was that our artificial intelligence in primary care, not across all medicine, could diagnose uh, sat the exam of the Royal College of Physi uh, GPs, uh, only the part of the exam that is related to diagnosis, not all parts of the exam. The average pass mark was 72% over the last five years. The machine on its first attempt got 81%. And don't ask me what it got in the second or third attempt because it's embarrassing, right? And then when we put, when we ask the uh, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, and Royal College of Physicians to create 100 test studies of like, tough things they've seen in real life, and we put it to seven doctors versus the machine, the doctors in average scored 79% accuracy, the machine got 81% accuracy, right? Two interesting facts there. One, when the machine had seen that problem before, the accuracy was 98%, right? No human doctor got to that level of accuracy, even when they've seen a problem before. Two, when you put a machine and a human next to each other, the accuracy was almost near 100%. Because a machine reminded the human how not to make mistakes, a human reminded the machine not to. So this generation of our products now, that we're building now, it's all about listening to a conversation that a doctor and a patient does, doing the diagnosis in a conversation with a patient anyways. So the machine is kind of listening in. Right. In initially, the machine does the consultation with the thing. Imagine mm -hmm. talking to Alexa, right, yeah. and having a conversation. And then, when it says, look, you need to talk to a doctor, it just helps the doctor to continuously improve the probability of what it could be. And if the doctor contradicts the machine, so be it. But we then go back and audit the work to make sure which one was right and which one was wrong. When we get to that, the accuracy is huge. I honestly believe in a few years' time, it will be almost illegal, certainly immoral, for a doctor to diagnose without the use of artificial intelligence. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Look, today, if you were a gambling man, and I'm not, and you had to gamble your anything that to do with your family, and you did it in a game of chess, and you had the option of using artificial intelligence to aid you in the game of chess or in the game of Go, and you didn't do it, you would be irresponsible. Why would that not be the case for medicine? If the machines can diagnose, or eight clinicians to diagnose as well. And, uh, but I think that's what's interesting is that there's a, just a much higher bar for healthcare, and also, for example, in the, in the UK, we're talking about the NHS, yes, which is this big beast, and it's hard to kind of push through changes. And uh, obviously, before this, you did Circle Health, and was there anything which was the fir- ran the first privatized hospital yes. on the NHS, and that had its own issues later on. Is there anything you learned from that about how to navigate and actually push through what may be a very good idea into a big organization that is difficult to change? Well, in, the, in, in, in that one, uh, we actually changed the hospital, one of the worst performing NHS hospitals in the history of the NHS, that they wanted to shut it down. And within six months, we turned it, and it became one of the top 10 hospitals in the country. A year later, it was the only district general hospital ever in the history of the NHS to win the award for the best hospital in the country, like ahead of the university hospitals. And then when we left, two years later, three years later almost, the hospital went back to do badly, and the reason for that is that the problem was not structural, the problem was all about management. You manage something badly, it falls apart, you manage it well, it does really well, right? Manchester United is the same Manchester United team that Alec Ferguson used to run. Look at how well it did then. I'm an Arsenal supporter for my sins. There used to be a time we used to do really well. We don't seem to be doing as well now. It's, it's all about management. When you put a group of people together, the performance is all about the quality of that management. But coming down, you're absolutely right. That's why I'm saying the problem, I don't think is technological. I think the technology problem is solved partially, but will be solved essentially in the next decade or so. I think the problem is fundamentally about our behavior. And you say, Danny, the bar is high. And that's why I started with that gloomy picture of what the reality of the healthcare today is. The bar is actually incredibly low right now. I mean, if you live, how many of you have visited the the 50% of the world that doesn't have healthcare, right? 
What, how high is the bar there? That's half of humanity. Is anybody in this room that thinks their life is worth more than those people's life? Right? How many of you have visited somebody in jail who has, who's in jail because they did ADD? They had an attention deficit. School, the doctors, the family GP didn't diagnose it. The school put them down saying that, look, you're just not clever enough. They developed like a lack of self-confidence that went, moved on maybe to self-harm, moved on to maybe addiction, and moved on in jail. How high is that bar? For that bar, by the way, we spent $10 trillion. The, the largest amount of money we spend on anything on the planet. The NHS takes, what, 25% of all the money our government spends in Britain? Right. So we're spending a very, very heavy cost for something that is not performing that well. And that's just the reality. It's just the NHS gave birth to my children, helped my, my family many times, every single time. I'm incredibly grateful. Many of my friends are there. We serve as part of the NHS. It's a phenomenal institution. It's one of the best health systems in the world. I don't want to be ungrateful or disparaging. I just want to say we could do better, right. and we should do better. And I'm getting the high sign from mm. Ali. A few questions have come in uh, through Glissa, but just to direct a couple of them. One is somebody uh, wondering why they have to switch, uh, Ali, from their existing GP to use Babylon. What they really want is to be able to pick and choose the most appropriate channel, because they can do that in any other business, so why not healthcare? You so must get this question. I would love it to, to, to happen. Unfortunately, we have a contracting system in the NHS that is capitated. So we get paid 60 pounds to look after somebody unlimited the whole year, for instance. And that's if, if they're younger, 300 pounds if they're older. Uh, so, so unfortunately, it's the way the contracting system works. And it works really well for the NHS because, because it then makes a patient the responsibility of a single doctor. And there is a lot of value in that rather yeah. than the episodical payment. Basically, I mean, in other countries in the world, in Rwanda, we get paid episodically. In Canada, we get paid episodically. Yeah. In all these other countries, mm -hmm. where I mean, a tiny percentage of our business is in UK, actually. Okay, and uh, just a final question before I throw it back to Danny. Uh, one is uh, that many GPs help us get well by simply showing that they care. Will remote access deliver the same? Of course, a human being is a human being, whether they are on the other side of the mobile phone or whether they're... And by the way, we have uh, uh, places in the country that, uh, that you could see physically, like we have our own clinics. But absolutely, I mean, when you see a friend through FaceTime, you don't think they care? I mean, is it really when you see them only in person that they care? And by the way, it's a generational gap here, right? I can't get my children to go see a GP. Think about it, you're sick. You're running a temperature, you're miserable, you're in bed, and now I have to tell you, let's get on the bus and go and wait for a couple of hours in a, one of the most infected mm. places on earth, a GP surgery, for you to wait until you see a doctor, right? Yeah. I do it, but my kids don't do it. And, and not to read too much into that question, but oh, those other qualities of empathy, of kindness, could they be embodied digitally if you take that human out of that? Would you go well, that far? We don't far? take the human out. We allow people to work with AI just to diagnose themselves more accurately and for the doctor to diagnose them. Yeah. But it still is the doctor who talks to you initially on the other side of a mobile so it doesn't take you out of your bed when you're ill, but eventually, if necessary, in real person. So the human is there. But let me just finish on this. 
a lot of what is wrong about what is written about this. And uh, it's, it's just laziness, intellectual laziness. People don't like kind of look at it correctly. They just find something that they just put onto this. Believe me, we thought this through massively. We work in so many regulatory environments that they all had to work at it massively. And when you see a argument against it, sometimes it's the caricature of the reality that it is that they do, but it's not just us. You said we finish with this, so I'll just say this thing. Healthcare can be better. It's a human right. No child in the world should die because they can't see a doctor. No parent in the world should worry about what is wrong with my child because they don't have access to a thing. This is a problem we can solve. It's our responsibility. There is no one else out there to solve it. We have the technology to solve it today. Instead of saying nay all the time, it's easy to be negative. It's courageous to be positive. It sounds more intelligent when we say, no, let me find out what's wrong with what you say. And you see it in your work every day, right? That somebody just puts the blocker on what you do. Those are not the people who change the world. The people who say yes are the people who change the world. Even if they don't know how to fix it, as long as they say yes and go and fix it. You guys are at the forefront of changing some of the most important corporations in the world. And I have no doubt that you see it every day. We can do this. This is not hard. You were talking about, we were talking backstage about just what Babylon is handling today. If you could just give a sense of that, because I think it's quite astounding numbers just in terms of how many automated interactions it's having with people where it's kind of obsessing them and giving them advice. We do an artificial intelligent consultations every few seconds. Every few seconds. We do a real consultation every couple of minutes. We will do a thousand consultations alone in Rwanda today with a real human doctor. We'll do the same number in UK. When we went into inside 70 million Samsung phones, we had 12,000 registrations an hour just from United States alone. Uh, in terms of a scale. We're now working with Sam, uh, with Tencent. I'm not betraying anything that is not public. These are all public information. And what we're trying to do with Tencent to be in WeChat, one billion users a day, right, wow. is to try and figure out how can you do a simultaneous, uh, how can you do AI consultation, a two-minute event, give or take, purely on GPUs. Now we're trying to see how can you do them on CPUs, actually. 10,000 concurrent consultations at the same time. Right, I mean, it just hasn't been done. So some of the technology behind this is very complex and hard, but it's doable, right? And I guess we'll just end on that. What are the, so what are the limitations? Is it, as you say, is it the human limitations, the human factors, as you, say, as you put it? Or is it the actual technology and getting this all together to actually make it work on, a, on scale? It's both. We will fix the technology, there is no question in my mind. They're bit by bit, never overnight, but bit by bit. Every challenge that was given on us, we could actually, sometimes much faster than we thought. But the human factor is the, is the big thing, right? So why and are so we So what does that mean? What about the human factor? Is it lack of trust? Is it institutional resistance? What is um, it? It's, it's all of those. Look, I mean, nobody, when I'm a GP and somebody, when 4% of my patients hear that they can 
they can have 24-7 consultations with zero hour waiting. And they, I'm not as lucky as a patient as uh, the participant there. So they leave, right? It's very quick, they leave. And when they do, what does that GP do, right? I mean, it's very hard to see, because you have to sleep in the evenings, you have to go on a holiday with your family, you can't be open 24-7. It's a hard, so I don't begrudge people, but then the, what you do is you try to stop the process. You say no patient, fundamentally what they're saying, or the small number of partner GPs, because remember, GPs are a small shopkeepers, right? They basically have their own partnerships. They have 2,000 patients. They charge the government for it. And, uh, and some of them are, uh, have a partnership. They make hundreds of thousands. Some makes, but vast majority of GPs are employees. 80% of, 85% of GPs in here in Britain are salaried GPs. Among those GPs, we are very popular. We're the number one place they want to work. We are the highest employer of GPs in the country. But against the partner GPs, whose business will be affected, uh, but they never turn back and say, it's my business that is being affected, and I'm worried about my income, which is a fair thing to say, by the way. They say that I worry about the safety of my patients, but the reality is, how safe is a patient who's waiting? What is more unsafe? The most unsafe thing in healthcare is to wait. You got a symptom and you wait three days. That, there's nothing more unsafe than this. There is no regulation in the world that, by the way, Care Quality Commission, there is no, nothing that says that is a measure of safety. I'm going to measure you based on how long your patients wait. Zero. None. Right? Apart from in hospitals where we say if you wait more than four hours in emergency, as fundamentally and, and safe. So, so we built regulations to fit the existing system, and that's why I'm just saying it's the human factors, Danny. But I don't want to end it on a negative note. I actually think we are in a much, much better place today than we were a few years ago, and in a few years from now, we will be, in, and whether that is three years or five years or 10 years, I don't know, but, but we will be in a place that we will do with healthcare what Google did with information that healthcare will become accessible, affordable to every human being on Earth. And whether that is Babylon doing it or another organization doing it, is irrelevant to humanity. It's irrelevant that Google did it or whoever else, uh, Alta Vista or whoever else was doing it at the moment. Uh, what matters is that the humanity will solve this problem. We will create other problems for ourselves, no doubt, <laughs> but this problem will go away. And for that, we should be grateful. And for that, it's worth waking up every morning and arguing with anything, including when your esteemed newspaper, The Times, writes rubbish yesterday, right? On <laughs> <laughs> that bombshell. Well, look, thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I can just, I guess, hand it back to you, Ollie. Okay. Thank, thank you, you Danny. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ali. Thank you, Danny. And that is all the time we have. Thank you for tuning in as ever. I actually met a few folks who listen to the program, which is always awesome. And I do really enjoy doing it. Um, so, you know, I know it's boring, but if you haven't already, give a rating and review. It always helps. And you can find me, as always, in the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter, at Danny Fortson. You can email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Next week, we have a good one. We're going to be talking about the moon and making it the eighth continent, i.e. colonizing the moon. 
and making illness optional. I guess not. True story. Anyhow, stick around for next week, and I'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye-bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.